am excited to be here. And I did not expect God to overwhelm me like this, but I feel overwhelmed with his presence because we get an opportunity to be here. You know what I'm saying? Like whether we have full band or full team, I didn't care if it was just me or just Brandon or whatever. Worship isn't about a band. It's about the heart that you give to the Father from the church, from his people. And it's giving, so I'm excited that we are here. I'm excited that we have an availability to just come in and worship the King and give him our very best and hear of his word and know of him and make him known. Guys, he chose us. That's pretty awesome. That's a pretty awesome privilege and an honor. Amen? Amen. I'm going to grab my water real quick. I want to uh, remind you that the last couple weeks, like Pastor Brandon said, we've been talking about we declare war on excuses. We really believed at the start of this year that we had started our yearly calendar in August of last year. And as we continued to go into that, that we feel like we're halfway in the year, but we believe that to start 2022, um, going into the new year uh, in the world, see, because we're not directed by the world, we're directed by God, amen, and we believed that going into this year that we said that there would be no more excuses, no more excuses, that we quit holding ourselves back to our excuses, that we declare war on excuses. That means that when you feel an excuse rising up in your soul, you begin to rise up and put that armor of God on to say, nope, nope, I'm not going to excuse myself anymore, God. I'm going to hold on to you. And today we're going to continue in that, but we're going to talk about something a little bit different. You know, there's other ways and forms that the word excuse is used. We use them in many different ways. Most of the time you hear it in the form of excuse me. You know, excuse me or, you know, pardon me. But most of the time people will say, excuse me. I don't, you know, think people say pardon me anymore, you know, but except for like the old Grey Poupon uh, commercials and nobody probably knows them except for a few people you know what I'm saying in this room so you may have to look it up you know it's an old British guy saying pardon me do you have any gray poupon it's just a mustard it's weird but that's what they did so it was funny back in the day um, but using excuse me how are different ways that we use excuse me well let's just get into it when we belch we use excuse me right we're just going to be real in here, right? When we pass gas or any minor offense that we may cause to somebody else, we say, excuse me, right? Even Jesus passed gas, so don't act like y'all don't. Just going to put it out there. Everybody does, okay? Let's just put it on the table. I don't pass gas. Okay. Just, just letting you know. It's, it's normal. God was honest. He was normal. We are normal here at this church. If you are First time visitor, welcome to Remnant Church. We will talk about anything that is normal because Jesus Christ, I believe, made himself human for a purpose so he could relate to us in all of our idiosyncrasies and the things that are not good about us. So he wanted to just let us know that he's good with who we are. Um, we say excuse me when we ask to leave the dinner table. When we accidentally bump into somebody, when someone is in our way, when we need to interrupt someone. Excuse me, children are the best at this one. They're the best. You could be having the most intense conversation, and it always happens. Can anybody else, just can you feel me for a minute, especially as a mother or a parent, period. When you are on an important phone call, <laughs> that is like when children seem to lose their ever-loving minds. Right? Because that's the only time parents can be asked questions. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you may be like talking to the doctor about something very important and it's, mom, mom, hey, mom, mom. And there is no excuse me most of the time in that. But excuse me when you want to interrupt somebody or just to get somebody's attention. Or how about in a manner of how dare you ex insult me? Excuse me? Excuse me? Or how about when you're, like, annoyed with somebody? Excuse me. <laughs> well, excuse me. You know, when you're just annoyed that somebody's doing something, you use that word. We use it in so many different manners. 
Most of the time, we use the word excuse me to alleviate ourselves from the path of a problem, right? But what happens when we feel like God's path is the problem? What, what happens? What happens when we feel that he's just in our way? What do we do? How do we treat God at that moment? How do we handle our life at that moment? How often do we tell God, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, God. Excuse me, God. I want to read to you 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8 in the message. Because today, we want to talk about we declare war on telling God to get out of my way. Excuse me, God. If I can get it to pull up. I'm going to be reading it in the message version. And it says this, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through 8. It says, welcome to the living stone, the source of life. The workmen took one look at it and threw it out. God set it in place of honor. Present yourselves as building stones for the construction of a sanctuary vibrant with life in which you'll serve as holy priests, offering Christ-approved lives up to God. Look, I'm setting a stone in Zion, a cornerstone, in the place of honor. Whoever trusts in this stone as a foundation will never have cause to regret it. To you who trust him, he's a stone to be proud of. But to those who refuse to trust him, the stone the workmen threw out is now the chief foundation stone. For the untrusting, it's a stone to trip over, a boulder blocking the way. They trip and fall because they refuse to obey, just as predicted. I want to read verse 8 again to you. For the untrusting, it's a stone to trip over, it's a boulder blocking the way. They trip and fall because they refuse to obey just as predicted. Excuse me, God. You're in my way. You are now not the foundation of my life, but you are the stone that's in my path. You're in my way. Excuse me, God. Have you ever been to the grocery store Trying to get items that you need for like a specific recipe maybe or something that you just wanted really bad. And you go to the grocery store and you're trying to get all these items for this recipe and the grocery store is a madhouse. Yep. Ugh. It wears you out. Like I try not to spend as much time in the grocery store as possible. Like I just want to go in. I want to get out. I want to get what I need to get and go. And that's, that's what we need to do, you know. And the other day we were at the grocery store. I think my brain was left in the car because I kept having to turn around. I think we went to the produce aisle like five times because I just, oh, I need that. Brandon's like, this is not like you. You need to list. And I'm like, I know, but I didn't have it planned all out right now. But how many times do you feel like that? You go to the grocery store, you go down an aisle, and you see that that's the aisle that you need, but everybody else is there with their carts, and so you go around another aisle so you can get back to that aisle, come back up, and somebody is right in your way. And their cart's like over here where you need to be. And they're like over here looking at whatever they need. And you're like, I need to get what I want and what I need. So can you please excuse me so you can just get out of my way so I can get what I need and put it in my cart. You know what I'm saying? Like, and we normally don't have patience when we're at the grocery store. Right? Right? And sometimes, just admit it, y'all have been the ones in the way, too, of other people trying to get what they need because you don't know what you even need or want. You're just there standing like, I don't even know. Uh, sure, that looks great, you know. And everybody's just walking around you in a hurry, you know, with their carts trying to get through and bumping on. And what's crazy is when you have a certain recipe to follow, you feel like you need those certain items. And if you don't have them, you're out of luck. You aren't having that tonight for dinner. But that's what you want. So you're going to do whatever you need. So you're trying to just get people out of your way to find what you need, right? So we say, excuse me, can I get past you to grab such and such off the shelf? I think we treat life and mostly God like the supermarket sometimes. 
You see, we have a certain recipe for the way we think life should be, the way we think life should go, and it doesn't matter how the author of that recipe wrote the recipe. We think that life should go a certain way. We have our own recipe of what we need to do. How many of you are recipe ad-libbers? Yeah, so you're telling me the rest of you don't cook. Is that it? Or you just follow the recipe to a T. You never add, like, extra salt or extra pepper or anything else like that. You never add your own stuff to your recipe. Yeah, most of the time when I cook, I don't follow the recipe. That's why I am not a baker. Baking is very precise science, and that's not how I cook. So we don't go there. But there are new recipes, and there are things that go on that I need the right items. But if I don't follow that... That recipe is not going to turn out the way that I probably thought it should. And we treat God this way, you know. We, we want our own way. And more times not in life, it can feel like a madhouse. It can feel a little bit crazy, like you're going into the grocery store and everything around you is chaotic and all you need to do is just get what you need out of life. It doesn't matter what everybody else is there for. You've just got to get what you need out of it. And it really doesn't matter if God has a path or a plan for you. You still want to get what you need and you want out of life. And so you're going to tell everybody that's in your path and your way, excuse me, even God. What happens when God's recipe for your life doesn't match yours? What do you do when God is parked in front of you? What do you do when God is parked in front of you and stopped? He's in front of what you want. He's in front of what you desire or what you need right then and there. What do you do? I think a lot of times... In this situation, we look at God as he's just that stone in our path. And we tell him, you need to excuse me, God. You need to get out of my way. How often do we tell God, excuse me? How often do we tell him, could you please move? May I be excused? Oh, I'm sorry, God, I did that. You know, but... Just excuse me from that. You're left with the ramifications of it, but just, just excuse me. May I be excused? Can you get me out of the way, God, you know, and, and you get out of my way? I just, I don't want to deal with this situation right now in my life. If you don't think you do this, let's break it down a little more, okay? Let me give you a few examples. Number one. Excuse me, God, but I have an appointment today, and my schedule is so full. Can we meet tomorrow? I think I'll have time for you then. Oh, I'm sorry, God. All, my car didn't start, and all this stuff just took place, and then I was late to work. And after I was late to work, you know, I just needed to get done what I needed to get done, and it's nighttime now, and I'm just so tired. Can you excuse me and get out of my way? I need to sleep. Excuse me, God. Excuse me, God, but I've been hurt by relationships before, so I'm not going to put myself out there anymore. I'm not even sure I can trust you. Can you get out of my way? I don't want to meet those people at church. I don't want to talk to that person at my job. Even if I am the only one who knows Jesus Christ in this place, I, I just don't want to do it. Can you excuse me? You're in my way, God. That's not what I had planned for today. Excuse me, God, but I have bills to pay, which you should know, so I'm not going to pay tithes. I need that money. Excuse me, God, but my friends asked me out, and you won't mind if I act like my old self and just drink it up for tonight, right? Excuse me, you're in my way. Excuse me, God, but you want me to volunteer where at church? I don't even like kids. That's not the path I had planned. I'm sorry. God, kids, kids' church not on my recipe. Excuse me, God, but... 
I need my spouse to change. If you could leave me alone and work on them, that would just be great. Excuse me, God. Excuse me, God. Excuse me, God. How about this? Excuse me, God. I hate terrible hope, so I think I'm just going to move. Excuse me, God, um, but the game's on, so I'll just catch up with you later. Excuse me, God. I think what's happened is so often we lived on the path of excuses so long that we see God more as a stumbling block in the way of what we want. Instead of following God's path, we follow our own and expect him to conform to our recipe. And then all the while, what happens after that is we wonder why life isn't turning out the way we think it should. You want to know why it doesn't? You miss the key ingredient. Taking God out of the situation and excusing him from your life and telling him to move is like putting no sugar in a pie. You ever, you ever had that happen? Where somebody made something for you and they thought it was so great. And maybe it was just a little too much salt or no sugar or something happened. You bit in and you're like, hmm. This is good. It's that key ingredient. You know, most of the time when you make desserts, you got to have sugar because it's sweet. And when you take God out of your life, just like that pie, it's going to be bitter. It's going to be bland. And our life is the same without God. When we move him and excuse him from our situations because we do what we want, when we want, and how we want to, we wonder why our lives are bitter and bland and lonely and hurting and broken. And it's because you have excused the main ingredient from your recipe of life called Jesus Christ. You have literally excused him from the situation. You have literally put him out of the way. And we wonder sometimes why we go around feeling like our foundation in our life is crumbling and cracking. It's because you have not put the chief cornerstone in the proper place he needs to be to build upon. He is the cornerstone. We go to it this way, excuse me from my sins Sunday so I can repeat them on Monday. Most of the times, we want to be excused from the consequences of our sin, but hold on to the sin itself. We use this analogy, we've used it, Brandon and I, Pastor Brandon and I have since we have ministered. It's a great way to use it. But think of one thing that you hate to eat. Say we were out to eat and you had a plate of food and it was one thing you hated. I'm not talking about you're just allergic to it and you can't have it. I'm talking about one thing you would not eat. It doesn't matter who put it on your plate. Mine probably would be liver. It's making me feel a little nauseated right now, but um, that's just really gross. My mouth is literally watering, sorry. But... Um, Say I got a plate, right? And all my favorite foods were on. I mean, just let's think about this. Say on my plate was like fried chicken and mashed potatoes and corn. And we had dressing. All this is on the plate. And then somebody decided on my same plate to put liver. Now think about it this way. If it was something that you didn't like, because some people don't even like their food touching, okay, at all, all right? Like you need them separated trays that we used to get in school, you know? But the fact of it is, is that if you didn't like it as much, would you, would you even eat what it had ran into on your plate? Would you touch it? Would you eat it? I would not eat it. I would, if it had ran into, 
if the juice from it had ran into my potatoes or on my chicken, I'd be pulling the skin off and separating them potatoes and separating that stuff and eating what I could off my plate without touching that liver. That's, that's how much I don't like it. But see, we should treat the sin the same way. Just because something served on your plate in life and put in front of you doesn't mean you have to partake of it. It doesn't mean you have to eat it. And then you need to go as far as whatever it's touched and contaminated that you separate from it because you don't want a trace of that in your life. But what's happened is, see, we become so spiritually hungry because we starve ourselves through the week of things that are going on that we eat whatever we think is put in front of us because, man, that's good. It tastes good. It looks good. It should be good. It's not a problem to watch that or listen to that or live like this. And we, we keep eating of things that are sinful. And it could be something simple. I'm going to break it down to you just a little bit even more simpler, okay? Because, you know, sometimes I think we just like to look at sin in extreme, but let's go here. Me yelling at my kids when God has already told me to work on yelling at my kids is sin when I continue to disobey him. It's the truth. If he has asked me not to talk to them like that or not to do something like that, if I raise my voice and do something just because they were disobedient, whose fault is that? Mine. That's no different than you letting words that should not be slipping out of your mouth slip out of your mouth just because you hear them on TV or watch them or because that's your old self. That's sin. It's the same thing. All the way up to past the part to pornography, to addiction, to anything like that. There is, sin is sin. Right here. And the thing about it is, though, is we excuse our sin. Well, I'm not a child molester, so I can cuss all I want. Tell me, tell me people will think this way. God will forgive me, it's no big deal. No, you know what, you're right. God will forgive you, but how much better could you be an example for Jesus Christ if things like that didn't come out of your mouth? People are watching you. What makes you any different from anybody else when they see the same thing they do in the world in you? It's in any, guys, I'm telling you, that's why I said about yelling at your kids or maybe just hitting snooze too many times on the alarm clock because I don't like my job. So I want to make an excuse for being in late for work. So I'll just say that it didn't work so I can be late for work. It's the same thing. See, the problem of it is, is God is too much in our way of how we want to live life. Because when we live life upright and righteous and holy, it's hard. And it takes work. And that means making yourself upright before God. That means talking to him like David and saying, God, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. Check me. See what's going on in me. Let me know if there be anything in me that's keeping me from you. Oh, but excuse me, God, you're in my way. When living in any form of sin, God always feels like he's in your way. I don't read anywhere in my word that God came to excuse you from your sins, but to free you from them. How do we change this? How do we change it? You have to reverse the pattern. Reverse the pattern. Instead of running from God to our sin, we need to run from our sin to God. Instead of running from God to our sin, we need to run from our sin to God. And how do we do this? This is one big word, but it is so key. And I don't care if you've served God for 25, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, or you came in just today and you don't know Jesus Christ. The word is repentance. Repentance. Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, says it this way. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Verse 8 
bear fruit, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. What does it say? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Do you know what that word means? Keeping with repentance means to continually follow up with a heart that is repentive unto God for things that you are to keep up with repentance. It's not a one and done. God, I'm sorry. I said I was sorry. So now I'll live how I want. And then I know I'm good. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, verse 9, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. This is not an easy word, but I didn't come to give you an easy word today because God's been dealing with me all week about things that I should be repentive about. Just being honest. Repentance is a huge word, and in our world, what does it say? If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek me and repent of their ways, Then I will hear them and heal their land. Maybe we've just been crying out too many excuses and not enough repentance. Maybe we've been asking God, may I be excused from that, God? I am so sorry. I really didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean to act that way and talk like that. That was an accident. Can you just excuse me from that? I don't, I don't want to have to be held accountable for what I just did. Can you excuse me from that? They did that, so I responded in that way. Can you excuse me? I don't, please don't hold me accountable for any of that, God. May I be excused? Please? May I be excused from that? We treat God like that all the time. That's like somebody hauling up and slapping somebody on purpose, but accidentally hitting them in the face instead of where they intended, but saying, I didn't mean to. No, no, you did. You meant to smack that person. You might not have meant to smack him in the face, but guess what? You did it, and you quit excusing. See, we, we make it that difficult for, to live for God. We, we do. We try to complicate it and be like, well, God, I did it that way because such and such. And I didn't mean to not spend any time with you this week. Just everything just got in the Yes, you did mean to not spend time with him this week. You make room for what's important. You hear me? But ex- excuse me, God. Even Jesus said in Matthew four seventeen, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The word repent, the basic meaning of repentance is to turn around, to make a complete change. It's turning away from evil and turning toward God through faith in Jesus Christ. A person puts faith into action by breaking away from sin and deciding in his or her heart to live in such a way that his or her character and lifestyle please God. Any other, listen to this, any other teaching of Christian faith is a misrepresentation of biblical message about believing in Jesus Christ. In spiritual terms, to produce fruit means to show outward evidence what can be seen of true inward faith, what God is doing on the inside. Through visible growth in character, compassion, and godly behavior, Genuine repentance will always lead to an active faith and godly behavior. Those who say they believe in Christ and are God's children and yet do not live in a way that produces and shows good fruit are like trees that in the end will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Your excuses do not exempt you from the judgment of Jesus Christ. They don't and they never will. Every one of us will face him one day. And I believe that day is going to be sooner than we think. 
and our hearts need to be ready and true repentant to him. See, excuses create a 360-degree loop that can only be broken by a 180-degree turn of repentance. See, a loop just continues. Excuses create that loop that continue. It just keeps going around and going around. But when you repent, guess what you do? You just turn around. You don't keep going. You don't keep going. You break it. You just make a 180 turn, and you don't turn back around. I did a study, and the word repentance in the Bible literally means the act of changing one's mind. True biblical repentance goes beyond remorse, regret, or feeling bad about your sin. It involves more than merely just turning away from it. There are three Greek words used in the New Testament that help us understand the full meaning of repentance in the Bible. The first is the verb metamolomai. Okay? This word denotes a change of mind that produces regret or even remorse for things done wrong. But it does not necessarily change the heart or the action. This word for repentance was used in Matthew 27, 3, to describe the guilt Judas felt before betraying Jesus. Judas felt regret and he felt remorse. That's why he went back and threw the money in, but he never fully repented and asked Jesus for forgiveness and to be Lord of his life. And he was one of the disciples. What makes you think any of us are better? The second verb, it's metanoio. It means to change one's mind and purpose as the result of or after knowledge. This verb and its related noun, metanoia, denote true biblical repentance, which is characterized by four elements. Four elements of true repentance. Here they are. This isn't a long message because I'm going to let you know something. I believe that God is trying to deal with our hearts in this room. And if you don't know him, guess what? Today's your day. You can come to know Jesus Christ as your personal savior and he will forgive you of your sins and throw them as far as the east is from the west. He loves you that much. But this is even for those of you that know maybe you don't have something major ugly sin in your life, but you know you have things that aren't making you look upright and standing upright in front of God to be walking righteous and holy that you need to separate yourself from. Maybe some of your, your old sin, your old past life leaked on your good stuff on your plate and you just need to separate that from there and scrape it off and throw it in the trash and start new. Four elements. Number one. True repentance involves a sense of awareness of one's own guilt, sinfulness, and help, helplessness. There are scriptures that you can look up to go along with this. They are in Psalm 51, 4 through 10. I'm not reading them all today. I believe it's you guys' job to build your relationship with Jesus Christ farther from this pulpit than we are responsible for. Psalm 51, 4 through 10, and Psalm 109, 21 through 22. Number two, true repentance apprehends or takes hold of God's mercy in Jesus Christ. Psalm 51, 1 and Psalm 130, verse 4. Number three, true repentance means a change of attitude and action regarding sin. Hatred of sin turns the repentant person away from his or her sin to God. Psalm 119, verse 128. Job, chapter 42, verses 5 through 6. And 2 Corinthians, verses 7 through 10. Number four. True repentance results in a radical and persistent pursuit of holy living, walking with God in obedience to his commands. 2 Timothy 2, 19 through 22, and 1 Peter 1, 16. The focus of Jesus Christ's mission was to call sinners to repentance. He said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That was Luke 5, 32. His call of absolute surrender goes out to all people. But unless you repent, you too will perish. Luke 1, 13, 5. 
In his farewell to the disciples, Jesus commanded that they take his message of repentance and faith to all the nations in Luke 24, 47. But here's the key. Repentance in the Bible involves a complete and irreversible change of mind, heart, and actions. That word irreversible means unwilling to change from what you know is right. We need to stop being unwilling to change our excuses and become willing to change in repentance so that we can stand and stand firm in who we are and who we know we are in Jesus Christ and never go back. Never go back. Never. Not one time. Repentance recognizes that our sin is offensive to God. To repent means to make an about face, heart directed, turn away from self to God, from the past to a future ruled by God's commands, acknowledging that the Lord reigns supreme over one's existence. You declare war on excuses by breaking the cycle with repentance. It's time that we stop saying, excuse me, God. Excuse me, God. I want to finish this real quick and explain something to you. And this isn't anything about me or boasting in myself. It's just a little bit of my testimony, just a little bit. But when I was younger and had gone through a lot of things in my life, I was struggling and I began to become addicted to different things. I, I drank very heavy. And I was into all different kinds of relationships, broken. Um, because when I was 16 years old, I was raped by an evangelist at a youth camp. And the fact of it is, is this is that my heart was broken, my world was broken, and everything I had thought about God was broken at that moment. And what ended up happening was my life took this downward spiral into all different kinds of things. And when I first met Brandon, I was not serving God whatsoever. I, honestly, I hated church. I hated church people. And, and I can't say that I hated God. I just hated what his people represented because of what happened to me and who it happened to me by, I just felt like there was this blanket statement over the church after that, that all people were just fake and acted like that. And I didn't want to be like that. And if, if I was the person, and you guys know me now, and those of you don't know me, I'm pretty black and white. I'm who I am. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to serve him with everything in me. If I'm not going to serve God, you don't want to be around me. I'm going to not serve him with everything in me. There's no in and out for me. Number one, because I don't like lying. <laughs> That's my number one thing. I cannot stand lies. Just tell me the truth. I'd rather you tell me the truth, no matter how hurtful it is. I don't like it. So I'm not gonna, I don't want to do that. If I'm going to be who I'm going to be, it's because I'm who I am, whether serving God or not, period. Okay? But the fact of it is, is this. I met Brandon. Actually, I was in a relationship with a crack cocaine dealer. And I was verbally, mentally, and all kinds of ways abused. I had been in corners where I was peed on and fists thrown at me. Been there. Been in all different kinds of situations that have not been good. Found myself in all different kinds of clubs and bars and places that I, that are no good. And then found myself trying to search after relationships because I felt like that's all that wasn't expected of me after that. What could real love really look like from Jesus Christ? And what ended up happening was I had prayed one night. I was on my way home and I had just been beaten. And I can remember driving on my way home and I felt like I couldn't get out. And I remember I was driving on my way home and I began to weep in my car. Everything was quiet. And I just said, God, if you send anything or anybody to get me out of this situation, I'll serve you for the rest of my life. A week later, I met Brandon. I didn't like Brandon when I met Brandon. 
He irritated me. <laughs> I still do. <laughs> you still do, but I love you for it. <laughs> a week later, I met Brennan, and I was struggling, and um, my car broke down. I was just in a mess. My body was in a mess because I had done things to it that just tore it up. You think that your sins don't have consequences? They do. They wreak havoc on your body, your soul, and your mind. And you think you're numbing it while all the while you're just killing yourself. And so Brandon and I became friends eventually. He just kept being nice to me. And what's funny about it was Brandon was the first guy that I had ever met in my run of all things that didn't make me feel like he wanted anything from me, that he didn't like me because of how I looked or just what it was. He just was genuinely a friend. And Brandon was probably one of the first people that I had ever seen Jesus in for a long time. I'm talking about a genuine just care. And so we just began to become friends. I mean, we became good friends. And I would, I would go on dates and still be with my ex, and we would talk, and he would, his, one of his good friends in school, my parents were the head directors of the Bible college he came to. And my parents led that, and he was always at the house because one of the guys at that moment, we had parents that housed people during that. They were, uh, what they call it? I forget. Broke. Yeah. <laughs> no. What did they call the people who housed you? Home. home home openers. I don't know why I couldn't think about that, but home openers. And these home openers would allow the students to stay in because at that moment we had no campus, no nothing like this. And I was living like if I would have died, I would have gone to hell. I'm just telling you that. It didn't matter if I knew the word and I had done Bible quiz and done all that stuff. I did not know Jesus Christ at that moment. He was not my savior. And so Brandon came in and we we talked and one Sunday he explained this a couple Sundays ago he asked me if I would come to church and I said well I don't want to go there because it would burn down and he told you what he said let the mother burn (laughs) but honestly I didn't want to come to church because I felt like everybody looked at me because of my sin and because of who I was right then instead of just having an open heart and mind plus I did not trust people (laughs) whatsoever but I came in and I went to church for weeks it, it was a few months, actually. I, I still went to church. I don't know why. I just kept going. Because <laughs> in all honesty, nothing had moved me in my heart yet. I'm just being honest. Nothing had changed me. I mean, I felt the moving like I was going. But then, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go and hang out, you know, whatever. And I still had this. My parents had kicked me out of my house. I was living out of my car or with my boyfriend out of a trash bag. And some days, y'all know Aldi, I would live off of boxes of cereal that I could buy at Aldi's because my parents made a decision to tell me that they were not going to support my disobedience nor my sin and how I wanted to act. And they loved me. And yes, sometimes my dad would put gas and they would always let me come home. I could come visit and get a warm meal anytime I wanted. And they left that open to me, but they were refused to tell me that it was okay to live in my sin. And some people look at that as hard, but that's the best thing I think my parents could have ever done for me. It was the best thing. Because you want to know why? I respect who they are today as standing in their righteousness for God because they didn't bow because their kid wanted them to sin for them. One night, I smoked like a freight train. And I remember one day I went to school and I was sitting, I can remember this, I was sitting with my friend in a Taco Bell drive-thru. She was ordering me and she said, ordering for me, she was driving and she said, what do you want? And I go, what am I doing? She goes, we're ordering food. I said, no, no, I know. And I told her what I wanted. I said, but I don't want to live like this anymore. I mean, I'm saying it out loud. What am I doing? I said, I have this guy in front of me, and I don't even know if he likes me, but he's a great guy, and it shows me that there are ones out there, and I'm getting beaten, taken care of, not taken care of, and I'm, I'm 
struggling out here and living on my own and I'm not even eating. I think I weighed 107 pounds when Brandon and I got married. That I was just, I, my, I had gone through hell for a while. And the fact of it is, is I just begin to wake up to there's something better out here in this world. And it wasn't just about Brandon. There was just a life that I didn't have to live like this. And all the while I forgot that I had asked God to send me something to get me out of the mess so that I could serve him for the rest of my life. And I remember Brandon calling me. It was the same day, which is crazy. He called and he said, hey, we're going to be up doing um, a service, a youth service. It was kind of like a youth revival, but they took all the inflatables and had a really cool, you know, service for the youth. He said, are you, guys, are you out? Would you, guys, would you like to come by for service? And I said, yeah, but I'm not staying. <laughs> but I'll come by. And what's funny is my ex at that time had called me and he was like, I'm going to the bar, I'm going to do this. And I was like, I'm not, do your thing. And I didn't even tell him where I was going. I was just at a point I didn't even care. And what's crazy is y'all don't even know is this man had threatened me and said, if you ever leave me, I will kill you. And he would have done it if it wasn't for the grace of God. And so what ends up happening is I go to this service and I walk in. And I see Brandon, and we start talking and all this, and we just keep talking and hanging out. And before I know how to get caught, and he's like, well, why don't you stay? And I'm like, I'll stay for a little bit. I'll stay for a little bit. And he's like, well, you can come sit with me. And I didn't know anybody there. And at that time, I wasn't a youth. I had already graduated. I was in college getting ready to graduate from hair school. So it wasn't like I didn't feel like I fit in. But he was here, and I didn't really talk to anybody else in the college except for his friend because... You know, I had just had the stigma of they were no good and I didn't like them, <laughs> just being honest. So I go in and I, I, he said, come sit with me. So I sat down. I'm like, well, I don't want to sit in the very front. Well, to him, very front, we sat in the like third row and it was with the whole team. And I didn't know what was happening with the service or anything. And all of a sudden, this was before the pastor had even spoke. And I remember it as clear as day. And all of a sudden, the drama team gets pulled up. Well, the drama team is the college kids. They all move, and I'm there by myself. Literally, in the whole side of the church, I'm sitting by myself. All the youth kids are, like, over there, and I'm just like, oh, my God. And I'm like, I want to leave, but I was brought up in the way of, like, you just didn't leave. Like, you sit, if you can sit and watch a movie, you can sit for church, and you don't leave and be disrespectful to God. You know what I'm saying? That's how I was brought up. So I didn't get up and leave. I can't tell you, I can tell you the name of the video. My sister was in it. And what's so crazy is that in that video, Brandon played God. And my sister played a girl who was being abused and broken and hurting. And all I remember is that when Brandon, as Jesus, swooped down and picked her up, something came over me and all of my excuses went to the wayside. It didn't matter what anybody had done. God was no longer in my way. He became the way. And all of a sudden, I... I, I kid you not, you can ask Brent, there was not one altar call. Nobody asked anybody to go to the front. I ran as fast as I could to that altar. I ran and I put my knees on that floor and I began to cry out, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. And all of a sudden, all I can remember is I was sobbing so hard. I don't even think they finished the video. All I know is kids were flooding the altars, flooding that the man didn't even speak because that's the power of Jesus Christ when he's not a stumbling block and he becomes the path for you. And I say all this because how, how does this pertain? Well, in many ways... Because when I told God that I would serve him for the rest of my life that day in the car, if he'd say anything, I meant it. I got rid of three cartons of cigarettes that day. I chewed gummy bears like a fiend for a minute. I quit drinking. I broke up with my ex. 
I, God separated from me from that. He saved me from that. He made it. You know what's so crazy is I'll never forget the last time he called me and my dad got on the phone and said, young man, don't you love it when your dad steps in the way, when Father God steps in the way? It's time that we allow God to say, excuse me. Excuse me, can you get out of my way? Excuse me. Can I just have my way in your... Can you just let me take care of that? Excuse me. And what's crazy is we've had a lot of hard times since then. That was a moment, but we've had some pretty broken moments. Moments where, yeah, I felt like I wanted to numb pain. Or that nicotine would help me again or alcohol. But I can tell you to this day, I have not touched one drop of alcohol. I have not picked up one cigarette. I have not turned myself around. And you think that it's... But I'm telling you, when I said I was going to serve God, it doesn't matter if we're up here one more time and it's just me and you. It doesn't matter. I'm going to serve God no matter who stands here with me because I made a promise and a vow and I was repentive in my heart to turn around. I wasn't going to do a 360 anymore. Aren't you tired of being stuck in the cycle? Aren't you tired of repeating the same thing over and over and just using your excuses to get through and it's getting you the same results that are no good? Stand with me today. I'm going to put it out there as blunt and honest. I don't care if you don't know God and you need to know him for your first time. If you were in here and you know that you need to repent and you are tired of the circle in your life, these altars are open now. The time for repentance is now. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is now. It's now. And that means anything that's keeping you from God. anything that's keeping you from God from the simplest thing to the biggest thing God wants you to know that you're forgiven he wants you to know that you can be free he wants you to know that he came and not to excuse you but to free you from your sins repentance repent for the kingdom of God is at hand it's at hand I'm going to put this out here because I know that some of you don't like to move because I get that it can be embarrassing and I understand that. And I'm not trying to give you a hard time, but is there anybody in this room that knows that you need to ask Jesus Christ as your personal Savior in your life, that you need to ask Him for forgiveness and you want to know Him, you want to know Him more than anything, raise your hand in this room today. Amen. Can you keep your hand up for just a minute? Can you keep it up for just a minute? Miss Jackie, can you come here for a second? Anybody else in the room? Come here, baby. Can you guys come up here just for a second? We want to pray over you. Come on. Guess what? If anything that you ever step out for, this is the one thing you should never be ashamed of. rejoicing over you today he's celebrating he's celebrating that you took a chance and a stand for him to say God I want to know you God I want to know you more than anything and it is something that is just never ever to like look at and be like oh I just did that or that would no this is a marker in your life that is going to change it forever if you allow it these are books that we want to give you and I'm going to have Miss Jackie we're going to pray with you today. Um, Pastor Deb, if you'd come up. Yeah, each one of them can have it. it sorry. I thought I gave you an extra one.
Pastor Day, could you come here for a second, please? that you were supposed to pray over us today. Um, I know you have a heart for his people and for repentance. And so I just, God said you were supposed to pray, so I'm going to let it happen. Father God, I don't know one way to pray. That's why you said to do it. You said, Lord, that whoever called upon the name of the Lord would be saved. Amen. And, Lord, that's the only way I know to do it. So, Lord Jesus, hear the call of your people right now. Lord, there's people in this house right now that need to hear your voice. I'm not God, so I'm turning to you right now, Lord Jesus. Hear their cry, no matter what their cry is, Lord Jesus. Let them come to you right now. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, big or small, whatever their cry may be, let them come to you. Whoever calls upon, calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not maybe, not could be, but will be saved. Amen. That's the promise of Jesus Christ. Devil, hear that right now. They shall be saved. They shall be saved. They shall be saved. Devil, hear that! Hallelujah! You are defeated. They shall be saved if they call upon the name of the Lord. They shall be saved. It is written. He sent His word. He died on the cross. That whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now call upon Him. Take Him at His word. Don't believe the devil's lie, no matter what you have done. If you hear his voice, heed that call, please, people. Jesus. Angels, you are rejoicing right now. I praise you. I rejoice in that promise. There are people right here, Lord, that know the power of prayer. I call upon every believer right now. Would you just stand in agreement right now? He said where two or three agree that you would you would just hear that prayer. Please, people, two or three right now, would you stand in agreement for those that are broken, those that are hurting? Please, right now. Hallelujah. There's something more important than lunches and, and meals. Souls are in, 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 in the cost right now. Please, Father in heaven. I may not pray a, a, a pretty prayer, but I'm not worried about a pretty prayer. I'm worried about souls going to hell. Hallelujah. There's something more important than our schedule, our appointments. Oh, Lord, how I have prayed for souls to be changed, for hearts to be turned. God, do your work in this place. Oh, God, do your work in this place. This is what you're about. Oh, God, this is what you're about. That men and women would come to know you, Lord, in the power of your salvation. God, I'm now leaving it in your hands for your glory, for your praise. And I rejoice in you. In Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen and amen. Come on. Shout out amen to God. Hallelujah. Jesus, we thank you for souls that were just saved. We thank you for ones who gave their lives to you. We celebrate with you, Jesus, in repentance, God, knowing, God, that you are the true king. We give it all to you, Jesus. All glory goes to you. All honor goes to you. We're here for you, Jesus. Hallelujah. You're worthy. 
first thing I believe that God wants to ask you as Pastor Day just prayed. Are you willing to keep on your plate what is contaminating your life? Are you, and walk out the door. Are you willing to keep on your plate what is contaminating your life and walk out the door? This is a call from God. I'm telling you right now, this is a call from God. Are you willing to keep on your plate what is contaminating your life for God? And whatever it is, if you know, please, 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 nobody can make you, I'm just saying this, but please, don't miss your opportunity and walk out of here living the same way that you did, coming in this way. Today is your day, and salvation is at hand for the fullness of who you are. We're going to continue to sing, and we're going to end this service. But these three will be up here waiting to pray over you. If need be, please don't hesitate. Just know God's here for you. Repentance is at hand. Please don't leave on your plate what's contaminating your life and separating you from him.